Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me at this sports podcast on this beautiful Friday as we discuss all the topics in the world of sports. Got a great show planned for you today. First up, going to talk to Brett Connors, my tennis channel co-worker and regular guest on this show. We got a lot to break down in the world of tennis. Indian Wells was a smash. Miami wrapping up this weekend. It's been an interesting time for tennis. Federer upset. Serena's comeback not going as she seemed. Some young upstarts on both tours. Juan Martin Del Pocho right back in the mix. What's going on with Novak Djokovic? All that and more. Brett has a lot to say. We'll be breaking all that down. And then following that, Ron Schultz, Yahoo Sports, my good friend who moved east a little while ago, a little over a year ago now. We're going to talk about the Final Four, what it took for all four teams to get there, his Syracuse Orangemen, how it has been an up-and-down week. And if you haven't been following it, you want to hear what he has to say there. We talk about the Final Four, what that tournament's going to look like, what the story of the tournament has been. Is it Loyola? Is it Virginia's upset? It's all that and more on today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, time now to talk tennis. Back on the show yet again, friend of the program, Brett Connors. Brett, what's going on, man? Money Mitch, how are you, sir? I'm good, I'm good. We're doing this one remote, uh, and we're about at the end of March. We're at the end of the little Sunshine Double uh, big tennis tournament season with Indian Wells in Miami. And I wanted to just kind of start with this because we've been talking tennis a lot. Last time was before the Aussie Open. And one of the things I remember we talked about when we talked about your back in your playing days with golf was that each hole was like its own individual, like whole individual lesson. And I feel like with the tennis season, it's the same thing. Like we're getting to a point now, the Australian Open is done. The results in that tournament almost mean next to nothing based on what we've seen in this season. And then we're about to get ready for clay court season. So I think we got to throw that out the window and start fresh again. Yeah, man, totally. Uh, you know, we've been on hard courts for a while. Some people can't wait to get back onto the clay. Um, but, yeah, it's been an interesting few months. You know, I think, uh, you know, for a while there, I was kind of trying to figure out, like, are, are you know, where have all the men gone? Where have all the guys we've been used to? Where are they? You know, waiting for them to come back. And, like, these last few months have kind of made me think that they may not be coming back. You know, the Walrinkas, the Murrays, Djokovic, you know, some of these guys who have been hurt and you've been so used to seeing, you know, I've kind of been waiting, but, you know, they're not coming back. And, and these other guys are kind of starting to fill that vacuum that's been left. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Djokovic has looked like a shell of himself. Murray hasn't even played. Nadal got hurt, skipped this whole mini season. And, uh, and Stan might be, I mean, Stan looks pretty much done. Uh, but, you know, one guy, only one guy that has come back and your friend and mine, Juan Martin Del Potro. That that's yeah. one guy, that is one guy, the only guy that Woo-hoo. has come back in the last couple of years that we had written off. It's funny because he wins Indian Wells, his first Masters title, which is hard to believe in and of itself. He's still in the running at the time we record this. This will go up the day of his match uh, with Isner in the semis of Miami. He could he could win the Sunshine Double, and part of it is him getting better, improving, getting his stamina up. But I do have to say, even as a Del Potro fan, he's taken advantage of a great time to be a men's tennis player at or around your peak with all the guys you mentioned nowhere to be found. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, I can't be happier for Del Po. Like, I've, I've been a fan of his since, like, you know, 10 years ago when he first broke onto the tour and he won, you know, the 09 Open. And, 
and he's had all those injuries. I'm so happy that he's that he's been able to come back. He's pretty much my favorite, you know, guy tennis player that I follow. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. He's he's taking advantage of it. But you know, if he hadn't put in all that time and all those surgeries and everyone telling him he's done and his backhand is crap now, he doesn't come over the top of it. He only slices it. You know, all these people have been dogging him for the last two years on his comeback. If he hadn't done all that and stuck with it and grinded it out, he wouldn't be able to be in the position to take advantage of all this. You're right. So, you're right. And, uh, yeah. and you know, and it's not just fans. I mean, we've <laughs> we've heard people say he's done, yeah. he's retired that have prominent positions and uh, they've they've been well wrong. I do think there's something yeah. to be said about getting yourself into playing shape and playing shape at the top level. When he made his first little comeback, when he went to I think the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open two years ago. And he started to kind of come back onto the scene. We thought, oh, it's a nice story, but can he get back to that level of being a top five player, being able to beat the best players in the world? Do you realize, Brett, he has more wins over any number one player for a guy never ranked number one? I know it's an interesting stat, but he just gets up for the biggest matches. He beats Fed at Indian Wells. He He's had success against him in the slams. He's got wins over Djokovic and Nadal. I think this is a guy that just, when the chips are down, you talk about championship heart. A lot of players back down. He just turns up the volume on that forehand and gets gets to rip them. For sure, man. Like he, even though you might not think he doesn't have that many wins or tournaments, like over the years he's been in some of the best matches, man. Like I think of the Olympics that one year where didn't he beat Fed or you know yeah, he, he lost he the tired out Fed yeah, or something. Out. Yeah, and the Joker match you were at uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, he probably did the same thing. Tired him out. Yeah, that was exactly. I mean, that was a classic five-setter. He's beat Fed twice at U.S. Opens. Both those years, Fed probably would have won the U.S. Open, you know. And the thing with Del Poe that, like, a lot of other guys, um, they get caught up in this, like, they'll have a little success and then they disappear or they put all their focus into one season or a couple tournaments. Whereas, like, Del Poe to me has always felt like a, like a Fed where, like, he doesn't look at one season, one tournament, He's always bringing it, you know. He's solid. He's pretty solid on clay. He's made a semifinal, I think, at the French. Mm-hmm. You know, he's awesome on hard court. I mean, he's made a semifinal at Wimbledon, so he's kind of good on all surfaces. And like, he's just probably going to be lurking now. And like the top five, you know, just you know, come on, who's going to beat me now? As long as he stays healthy, like you know, he's going to be fun to watch the rest of this year. And let's be honest. I mean, he, he's not afraid of Federer and Nadal, and that that sounds cliche, but we have a lot of kids and, a, and a, maybe an entire generation of post children that just kind of were afraid in the big moments of the of these guys. He's one of the few guys that won't back down when it's a big match. Yep. Yeah. And he's like a likable guy, man. He's like seems like he's really humble and he works hard and he's soft spoken and and the way he plays is like doesn't match up. You know, he like hits the ball super hard and flat. And, you know, you expect him to be almost have this explosive personality, but he's really like chill and, you know, everyone seems to like him and yeah, I'm just really, really happy that he's doing well. So the guy that he beat at the Indian Wells final, Brett Roger Federer, he doesn't. You know, last year he wins the Sunshine Double. This year he loses in the final of Indian Wells, and he gets upset by Kakinakis early in his first match in Miami. And, and look, he is 36, going to be 37 years old. He won the Australian Open, and, and we know that a loss is going to happen. Like it's not the end of the world when Federer loses. But I'm wondering now, with, with him not playing clay court season for the second straight year, what realistic expectations are for Federer? He got to number one in the world, but he had to basically win just about every tournament to get to that point. What should we expect from Federer in terms of 
high-level tennis for the next couple of years? Uh, I mean, I think now that he's gotten back to number one, you know, he's probably not him hanging onto it isn't as big a deal to him as it would have been 10, 12 years ago. You know, I think just him getting back to it is such a feat and such a joke probably in his mind that he's just like, you know, whatever. (laughs) I was kind of hope, kind of hoping he would play the clay court season just because it would be interesting. You know what I mean? He probably would win some tournaments. I think he would, (laughs) you know, we've had that discussion before about how is he, I don't want to say ducking, but is he doesn't want, does he not want to play in a doll? Does he not want to go through the grind when he can't win? I think this, to me, shows that this is clearly just he's not going to play. He doesn't want to. He's trying to preserve his health because this would be the perfect time. Clay court season is going to be so fascinating because who is going to step up? I, I think this would be. If he was trying to rack up wins and tournaments and make another run at the French, it would have to be this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if he's not playing this year, it makes you almost think he might never do it again. And this is just kind of the way his years are going to be set up. Like he's going to play five five tournaments at the beginning of the year, then he's going to miss two and a half months, and he's going to come back for two weeks of grass, then Wimbledon, and then miss, you know, take two weeks off and then hit you with the hard courts in August. You know, because the older he gets, just interesting, because, like, when he says he's going to not play till the grass, that's like three months. I know. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're 36 and then all of a sudden 37, you know what I mean? Three months is, like, more to you when you're older than it is when you're in your 20s. So it's interesting to see, like, after three months, will he be as healthy? Is he still, like, dominant? You know, because he's still the best player in the world. Like, yeah. as good as Delpo's playing, like, I would still rather take Fed, like, you know, most matches if I had to take a bet. So, like, you know, I don't think he's going to go anywhere until people start beating him. Yeah, and on grass at Wimbledon especially, like, I feel like that's that's the last thing that's going to go, right? Like, he's going to be good there for the rest of his career yeah. near the top. Yeah, just because he can shorten the points and the grass is soft on your body than more than hardcore, and he knows it so well. It's like, you know, second nature to him. And it's kind of almost the same thing with Venus. Like, we always talk, like, when's Venus going to stop? And it's like, dude, she can't stop. She's making semis and finals. And four, you know, world. she never loses. <laughs> yeah, she never loses before the quarters. So it's like, well, she's not can't stop playing until she starts getting beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree so, with that. I, I just, it's a fascinating time, uh, for sure. Brett Connors, Money Mitch effect. It is, yeah. We should talk about Novak Djokovic, because what I find fascinating more than anything, and, and it is very sad, to watch him play right now given where he was two years ago let's remember that but two years ago we were thinking man how good is this guy like what what's the ceiling we had to keep moving the goalposts he had all four slams under his belt at, in 2016 and now we're gonna have to keep moving the floor because he keeps setting the bar so low for his defeats I, I'm I know it's a mental thing with him partly but we have to acknowledge the fact that his game is not the same either at the moment yeah, man, like, it's tough to say just because we're not getting a lot of, like, Intel. you know, footage Intel, to look yeah. at. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's hard. We get, like, a one match or he won. Like, well, I think he won a match in Indian Wells and then lost. But it's weird, man, because, like, he's going out there. It's almost like he's a little bit going through the motions, like, you know, and, like, it, he's not really getting upset at match point. He almost is just like, hey, yeah, you know, yeah. you got me, you know. Like, we Toro did. Daniel, yeah, you got me today. Like, it's ben like, Walker. whoa, what happened to the – yeah, what happened to the guy who would, like, rip his shirt in half when he would win and scream and yell and get fired up when the crowd would go against him? Like, that guy's all of a sudden, like, kind of gone. Like, what happened to him? 
Yeah, the fire doesn't so, seem to be there. And, and yeah, I mean, he, I mine, I don't think he won a single match. I think Terry Daniel was first. He lost to him at Indy Wells. Then Benoit Pair, a guy who, I mean, he should never really be losing to yeah. him. But uh, in terms oh, yeah. of yeah, that's one of those losses. That's one of those losses that tells you a little bit because Pear obviously has a lot of game, but he's not the kind of guy you would want to lose to. Like, you know, like he's kind of like a punk a little bit. So, yeah. like, it's, it's, when he takes a loss to him, it's like, ugh, you know, you, you wonder what's going on. He had that stat where he was like 58-1 since 2010 against the French, and he loses to Benoit Paris. So I thought that was kind of an interesting huh. one, too. He, he, you know, it's just lack of consistency. We remember the Djokovic that got everything back and was painting lines, and you had to hit a winner to beat him. You know, he was not gonna yeah. gonna beat himself, and and that guy just doesn't seem to be there. It's definitely not a fitness thing. Maybe he did get a little too skinny, but there's a there's a reasoning why we're not willing to slam the book on him, and it's because of the stuff we just said. You know, Nadal's injured, Murray's injured. Like we don't stand might not be back. Like there's an opening there. If Djokovic ever figures it out with his skill level, that's why I think we're all afraid to just say he's done. He'll never win again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's done. It's kind of a weird thing because for a while you were like, is this like a personal life thing, an emotional thing? And then he had a little of the injury. And all of a sudden, after a couple of years, it's starting to resemble like Tiger Woods a little bit. Like how Tiger had some personal <laughs> stuff comparison. with his wife, you know, and his wife. And then all of a sudden his back was bad and he, blah, blah, blah. And then it kept snowballing. And all of a sudden Tiger couldn't like couldn't win, a, couldn't win an event, you know, couldn't make a cut and like, and so I hope that doesn't happen with Joker because, you know, like if anything with Delpo coming back, it shows you that there's a huge opportunity there. Like this, this whole group of young guys is not ready to step up and command like the number one or top few positions, you know, number one's a 36 year old Delpo might be number three. Chilich is 30, he's number two, like whatever. So, you know, until some of these young guys step up and say, like, no, 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 like, I'm number one in the world. Like, you know, Djokovic should see that and still stay hungry, you'd think. Well, it's not going to be Grigor Dimitrov because he can't win a match either to save his life right now. Uh, but but Djokovic, the, yeah, no, the guy that you referenced to, the guy that was, was ripping his shirt off and, and going nuts when he would get up for matches, that was a guy chasing something. I, I still think there's something to that. Like, he got all of his goals. He won the French. He, he got to number one. He won all those tournaments. Maybe... That fire is not there uh, anymore, but that tiger comparison, yeah. that tiger comparison is pretty accurate. Although I know you're pretty pumped that he's coming back and uh, looking like he's a, a legit yeah. golfer again. <laughs> yeah, well, we got the Masters next week, so it'd be cool to see him. You know, he doesn't have to win it, but as long as he's like contending and on that first page of the leaderboard, all of a sudden it pulls in so many like more oh, fans. Uh, to and, the and and uh, well, I did think it was kind of ridiculous in Vegas when the board came out the weekend of March Madness that had him the betting favorite, which I think is a little premature. But there is yeah. nobody, nobody, Roger Federer, uh, whoever you talk about, Leo Messi, uh, Serena Williams, Tom Brady, LeBron James, there's nobody that means more to their sport from at least a rating standpoint than Tiger Woods. Yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy to see, like, over the years, Tiger's progression from, like, the kid to like the young guy, to like the main guy, to like the, now all of a sudden he's like the older guy know, who needs crazy. to make a comeback. And like, it's just, whoa, where's the time gone, man? You know? It's definitely crazy. Uh, but, but getting back to tennis for a, a little moment, there have been some good surprises too uh, in these last two, in this last month of tennis. But on the men's side, a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but a few young guys really stepping up. And I know there's that generation that we don't like to talk about anymore because they didn't really win too much. But I've been impressed with, 
Shapovalov, Koritz specifically, even Zverev getting back to, uh, I mean, still in contention, could very well win the Miami Open. So this next generation of young guys is starting to put matches together. Koritz is the one that stands out to me, but what have you thought of the, the next geners? Yeah, man. Um, Chung, I like Chung. Chung's not ready yet, but he's like there and he's ready to like be in the mix every week. I don't think he's ready to like win consistently. He still needs some work and stuff. I love seeing Zverev back. I think he needs to like kind of, he's the guy who needs to command. He's the guy who should be like, what? Number one in the world is 36? <laughs> you know what I mean? Talk yeah. about talk about an opening for him. Like to be like, holy crap, like between 36 and me is 15 years. I can, if I become dominant and step up, I can have the next decade of the sport. You know what I mean? Because there's nobody really up between Fed and him that would scare him that much, you know? So it's like there's a huge opening for him. George, I like. I like George. We thought he was going to break through a couple years ago, and he's kind of, uh, you know, fallen off a little bit, but he's had a good few weeks here. Lost to Zverev today in the quarters, but he's had, you know, that's a pretty good run. Um, and Shapovalov, you can tell, man, he's got it. Like, oh, yeah. he might not be able to put it all together right now. Like, he has these little slips of mental stuff and makes an error, and then all of a sudden he loses, you know, gets broken and the match is done. But you can see, like, going forward, he's going to be good, man. Like, he's fun to watch. He knows how to play to the crowd. That backhand is fun, man. And it's cool that he's Canadian. You know, it's good to have, like, another North American good player. So... I think the next generation's like getting good. It's just like they need to kind of step up and make some like and win some, you know. Yeah, I would just say just to add to that, Zverev is on a different grading curve than the other two because we've seen him do it. For sure, he's got Masters one thousand titles. I know they're all roughly the same age, but we got to judge him at Grand Slams now. I mean, yeah, it would be nice mm-hmm. if he got to number one or two in the world. Getting a Grand Slam would do that, but. He's got to start making some deep runs at these tournaments. I mean, last year, U.S. Open was the one that stood out to me. Murray pulls out while the draw is made. That that draw was gift wrapped to him to make the final, and he loses the courage, oddly enough, um, beforehand. But, no, I, I'm, I've been impressed. There have been some great matches. It's nice to see that these kids are starting to get there. And, and yeah, that's... Shapovalov might be my favorite of the three, but I don't know that he'll put it together just from a game standpoint. It's very, very fun to watch. Yeah, I mean he's young too. He's like only nineteen, I think. Yeah. So like, give him two, give him two or give him three years, and then he's only twenty two. You know, so like, let him be on tour and work his way up and pop up and win a two fifty. You know, like that's all going to happen. His progression will slowly come. We've seen it with the other guys. Yeah. And so yeah, you're right, Zverev. We definitely do expect more from. We just got to. But get, like, as yeah. we should. Chung needs to just get a serve. You know? I think that's the biggest thing. The guy needs to really get a serve at that elite level. Uh, he's too shaky on yeah. that end. He needs some free points, and we'll save him something there. All right, Brett Connors, Money Mitch totally. effect. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think we got to talk about the women's game right now. Although not, okay. not <laughs> although not as down on it as we've been in the past. I think part of that is because no, there are, like the men's game, a lot of young, I shouldn't say a lot, but uh, maybe even more than the men's game, some young faces that are threatening the top. Indian Wells was played in a final with two girls under the age of 21. Naomi Osaka and Daria Kastakina. Osaka wins that one handily, but two nice runs by them. We have Yelena Ostapenko, who's making a run at Miami. And uh, I'm just I'm more intrigued. Serena comes back. She's rusty. We don't know what her ceiling is going to be with this return. Uh, but I think there's some, some real young firepower. Osaka, Kastakina, Ostapenko back again. Some nice faces to watch here. 
Yeah, man. Like it's, uh, you know, normally like the women's tour gets dogged a little bit because of the inconsistency and all that stuff. But maybe if you look at it a different way, it's kind of fun and exciting just because every week it's kind of someone new. And like, like you said, you know, Ostapenko's having a good run. I mean, she won a grand slam a year ago, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, that's a fun story. This Collins girl who's had like two really good weeks. I mean, she was a qualifier this week. She's in the semis. You know, hasn't won a a title above a 125 and now she's in the semis of a premier event. You know, like Svitolina, I like Svitolina. She should be like taking a little more advantage, you think, but then she kind of has some, you know, tough losses. Osaka has a lot of game and she looks like she can thump it. And almost like in her, her, in her speech after when she won, almost like she, she wasn't even surprised. She was just like, oh, whatever. You know, like she doesn't even get too into it, you know, like it doesn't upset her or anything. So. You know, it's almost like Venus and Serena are going to hang around enough to allow, like, all these younger people to figure it out and, like, win some stuff and create their own, like, way and personality. And then finally the Williams sisters would be like, oh, can we retire now? Is the WTA going to be – is it going to be okay without us? Did we hang on there long enough, you know? Yeah, I, so. I think – I mean, Osaka did that in beating Serena in Miami. I thought that was uh, – I know Serena isn't what she was, at least not yet – but she hit her ground stroke for ground stroke, has the power to hang with her, and, and was able to finish her. She didn't win that tournament at Indian Wells by beating tomato cans. I mean, she beat Halep, beat her down, I mean, got started running through the draw. It was a brilliant performance. I, I think given that they might, not, they might not have the track record yet, but given that these girls are, are fearless in a way, Ostapenko winning a Grand Slam, I think it's going to help them going forward. Uh, Kasekina beat Wozniacki when she was number one about a month ago in St. Petersburg. So I'm just looking forward to see some new faces, some fresh talent, and it should make uh, the Grand Slam seasons a little more unpredictable. I do worry about Svitolina, though, because her problem isn't what we talked about earlier. She beats everyone she's supposed to, but she hits that quarterfinal roll and kind of hits a wall. We saw that a little with Ostapenko yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, the Halep thing, man, is just, like, it's like every time I talk to you, it's a couple more tournaments, and it's a couple more bad losses in, like, a semi or a final. Like, it's almost just the same story, man. And, like, I don't know what to think, because you'll watch her, and some of the angles and the, like, defense she plays, you're like, wow, like, how can anyone beat her? And you're like, well, no one can. She just always beats herself, (laughs) you know? Yeah, she's in her head. It has to be her squarely in her head because she's another one that's done it all except win a major and that Aussie Open final she basically took the mantle from Wozniacki as the greatest women's tennis player to never win a major yeah and like you know I like her she's likable but and you know she's she's on social media talking about I'm a Nike I got Nike I'm number one in the world and all these posts about being number one and number one and Nike and Nike it's like win a slam you know what I mean? Like, who cares about being, win a slam, you know? Like, it's almost like she's setting herself up to tell herself that her career was still good, even though she never got slammed. She got to number one, you know? And it's like, dude, all these other people are going to get slams while you're just sitting there. They're making their names off of you. Like, Osaka beats you three in love in a big tournament, made her name off of it. Ostapenko beat her in that final, made her name off of it. You know, Wozniacki beat her in a final, made her name, made her Grand Slam winner off of it. You know, like, quit making everyone else's career. Sharapova made her comeback. Yeah, (laughs) at the U.S. Open. I quit making everyone else's career. And let's be clear. There's a big difference, right? It changed. 
when Serena was just dominating, we didn't look at it this way. It was just, well, that's you know the greatest ever in her sport. But there is that void when she was out. There's all these tournaments where it's like if you're if you're getting to the finals and losing to peak Serena or, or somebody of that nature, that's one thing. But it's like enough is enough. You're, you're creating you're creating millionaires is what she's doing. Yeah, and like you know, like the thing is, is she's not losing to people. She, like if she lost to Svitolina, who's got like you know eight titles in the last two years and is number five in the world, you'd be like, okay. But she's losing to Osaka. Has Osaka ever won a tournament? You know, she's losing to Ostapenko in a final, who had Red never Wanska. won a tournament. Brad Wanska, you know these people. You know. Yeah. yeah, it's just, I feel bad because I like Halep, but it's become such a trend where, like, you know, oh, big match against an unknown player? Take the unknown player, you know? Well, yeah, that, that's unfortunate there. I did want to ask you before we wrap this up and talk a little about clay court season, Brett, um, what what do you think we should expect from Serena? Because I know a lot of people are, and I guess we could lump Sharapova in that, too. She made her comeback to a lesser extent. But these are two prominent names in the sport of tennis. And I think a lot of people on the outside just assume that they could just walk right back onto the tennis court and nothing would, would really change. It doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, it's one thing for Azarenka to have a kid who was like, you know, 26 or 7 and then come back, you know, and she seems to be doing pretty well. Serena's like 36, man. It's like hard to have a child at 36 when you're a professional yeah. athlete All and those expect to come back too. and – yeah, exactly. All the health stuff, and you know, dude, I don't know. I think she. It depends, you know, because like, how committed to it are you? You have a baby, you have a husband. Are you really into like giving it ten hours a day at the courts and training and weightlifting and all that stuff? I get it, man. Like, you want to have a regular life and you want to have a family, and but then there's that part of her who goes out and takes a loss to somebody she knows deep down she's way better than, and you know that probably reignites the fire to want to like come back. So, yeah, I, I, you know, think, I don't know. I think it's, I, I would agree. I, ahead, I would dude. just, yeah, I would just say that she needs to invest a lot more time than she probably did these last, you know, this last month. I don't, I don't know what, what she had been doing to get ready. Now this is the same Serena Williams that is notorious for when she takes these long hiatuses, she comes back out of shape. She has to play herself back into shape, but she knows more than anybody yeah. that it's a grind that if she wants to get back to the top, she's going to have to put the work in and, I'm I'm curious to see what this is. I also think the landscape's gotten a little better uh, around her than it had been maybe toward the end of her recent you know stretch run of dominance. So that'll be look that'll be something to see. I don't expect much out of Sharapova for the rest of her career for a couple different reasons. <laughs> I think some of them are uh, self-explanatory. But but you did mention yeah. Azarenka. It's good to see Azarenka back, and I think she's somebody that. Today, her body kind of broke down. She looked a little tired. It was, I think, humid or hot out in Miami, you know, losing to Sloan in the semis. It was a good run for her. She hadn't really had any big match you know, experience, big match uh, history in this last year. So it's good to see her back to getting to shape, looking in shape. And, yeah, yeah the, other, the, only other totally, story, I mean, yeah, the only other story with her is how is she going to get back to her top ranking? Is she going to go to 250s? Like, is, that, is Vika willing to do what Del Po did and – play year-round, go to small tournaments, you know, put that time in as a mother. It's it's a fascinating choice for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to have her back. She's a personality, man. She's funny and, like, always has an opinion, whether you like it or not. Like, I like people like her just because they bring something besides the tennis, you know? Mm -hmm. And then her story is pretty, like, fascinating that, like, you know, 
you know, met a guy, had a kid, you know, the uh, relationship didn't work out. And now she's trying to like, you know, make it work with her career. You know, it's like a lot of people can probably relate to that in regular life too. You know, relationships don't work, you know, family split apart, but you still have to work. So it's like a cool story. Um, I don't know about like the 250s and stuff. It does seem weird that they're ranking her and Serena's like plummeted because they decided to have a kid. It seems like a seems like if if there was ever like a, a you know an organization that would make some sort of like uh you know if it's oh, yeah. an exception for that it would be like the women's tennis association you know like if women have children women can be mothers you know it might happen you know it's like they were really unprepared for that i think but uh, yeah i don't know i know it's controversial it's you know i, I understand if your ranking drops not being around I, I think part of it is maybe some protected seating at some of these tournaments that's where I think there should be a discussion to see maybe, you know, it's one thing to lose your ranking points. It's another if, you know, you, you draw uh, you draw Osaka, a defending champion from another tournament in the first round. So, um, it yeah, it it's is. just weird that Serena wins a Grand Slam in her last tournament and comes back and is like, you know, what, a thousand in the world or like whatever she's fallen to. And you're like, oh, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's definitely a debatable topic that people will get into. It's nice to see Sloan back playing good tennis, too. I mean, she could win this tournament in the final. Uh, had that very, very bad rough stretch after she won the U.S. Open. It's nice to, to see her digging into her tennis career again and the results being there. Yeah, and that seems to be, like, how it is nowadays. Like, remember, she had lost, whatever, nine matches in a row, and then she lost in Australia, and they asked her in the press afterwards. They were like, oh, what's going on? Is everything okay? And she was just like, relax, you know, relax, relax, all that stuff, you know, and everyone was kind of laughing at the time, but with the way the game is nowadays, you don't have to be at Grand Slam level all year. Yeah. Like Sloan can pop up three or four times a year and have a good week yeah. and then be like, you know, eight in the world or like whatever it is, you know, and she'll remember those four good weeks and throw away the 12 where she lost, you know, and she's a great player now, you know? <laughs> yes, I think so. the second half of that quote was, relax, every other woman does the same thing because it's pretty much yeah, how, that's, how that's been going. Um, but all yeah, right, so we'll, you know, we'll wrap this up, Brett Connors. This has been informative and fun. What do you expect though for clay court season? We're we got about a week of, you know, some downtime before the tournaments really dig in in Europe, big Masters events, and Dahl's number one in the world. But to keep the ranking, he has to basically dominate. So I would expect Federer to be back yeah. at number one soon. Yeah, you never know, man. Like Nadal, like he seems like he kind of has like an injury thing where he misses some tournaments but like how really injured is he you know mm -hmm. is he just really just waiting to set up for the for the, for the clay because he knows all that stuff that he has all those points but um you know i expect it clay is almost the most predictable of them all like nadal's going to be there as long as he's healthy dominating guys like diego schwartzman and Carreno busta and guys with hyphenated names are going to be dominating you know like the spanish players love the dirt the south american guys love it you know, so it's kind of like you can tell who are the guy. You know, team team's going to be like you know doing well. He loves the clay, so, so you know, I so think you, it's going to be a lot of that. Yeah, no, I would agree. But do you think Nadal, like, no questions asked right now, you're confident that he's going to do very well? Because I, I, I guess uh, part no, of it is I mean, his age too for me. Like, I know he, he's been injured. It's been building up, and he made that great run back to get healthy and, and get back to dominating, but. You know, I have my concerns with any athlete who's been playing tennis as long as Nadal has and he's been beaten up. Yeah, like it kind of seems like Nadal does this where like he will go away or he gets hurt for a little while and then he comes back and he's like so good again 
And then you're like, is this him kind of going out with a bang? Is this his like last hurrah? And then he kind of like goes away again. And then he comes back again. So he keeps kind of doing that. And you never know when is like the last hurrah coming. You know, is it going to be this year, next year, three years from now? Like eventually he's going to hit a little bit of a wall where he can't, you know, grind everybody out in these two and a half hour clay court, you know, three set matches. So I'm not confident because I don't know how he, how he feels. He's got so many points to defend that it almost seems like that's a little impossible for him to come out. I think Fed's going to probably end up being number one when he gets back. You know, yeah, it could be very soon because he has to win every tournament except for Rome, where he got to the quarterfinals. I'm just going to say this: yeah. I don't know what team's health is. Go fans, another one that's had success there, but he's banged up. This has got to be Zverev's time to at least make a deep run. It's there for him. He's won a Masters on clay. He's young. He's he should. Th- this should be it. I know I say that a lot. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking at yeah. him as the guy this time. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all those guys, this should always kind of be them. You know, Zverev, even if he doesn't win, he should be in some semis. You know, he should no worse than quarters. I think Delpo would be interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Like, how's he going to do on the clay? Is he going to play all of the clay? Because he's kind of like, you know, people don't necessarily think he's a good clay player, but he's pretty good, man. Like, his game translates to the clay pretty well. You know, you wouldn't think it did, but it does somehow – and, like, you know, it be interesting to see how he does. But, um, yeah, I mean, I want someone new to kind of jump up and be like, maybe Chung, you know, like has a good couple weeks. And you're like, wow, Chung's good on clay. Chung could be a contender at the French. Or just, I'm down for new people jumping out and making their name nowadays. Let's see it. I think we're all on the same page there. We want to see the next stars emerge. Brett Connors, this was fun. We'll be seeing each other very soon. But thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking tennis. Thanks, Money. I appreciate it, and uh, always a good time, and talk to you soon. All right, huge thanks to Brett Connors for coming on today's show, and uh, there's a lot to digest, not just with Miami this weekend, but the clay court season starting soon. What will that look like? No Federer. Is Nadal healthy? Will Serena return to dominance? A lot of questions still to be answered on the clay courts, but thanks to Brett Connors for appearing on the Money Mitch Effect. And next up, it's time to talk to Ron Schultz. Works at Yahoo Sports, lives out on the East Coast in New York. Good friend of mine. We're going to talk about the Final Four. We're going to talk about his Syracuse Orangeman run to the Sweet 16 from the first four in. What a major shift might look like in amateur athletics and what the G League might have to do with that. And we preview all the Final Four games. It's Ron Schultz here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, making his highly anticipated return to the Money Mitch effect. It has been quite a while. My buddy, former L.A. resident now, living on the East Coast, working for Yahoo Sports. Ron Schultz, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing, Mitch? Uh, Good to be back. It's been a long time coming, but uh, glad to be back on the show. Lots happened in in uh, in our time apart on the airwaves. First of all, congrats on the Super Bowl. I know that was a big day for you. Um, and congrats on the... You could, uh, you could say yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. I like to undersell things around here. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, Philly sports is riding high with the Sixers doing well. And today's opening yeah, day as we record this in baseball, so the, the Phillies aren't out of the division picture yet. So that's always a good thing. Well, not, yeah, not yet. <laughs> and the Flyers not are going to make a playoff push. So this is a pretty, a pretty good time uh, to be a Philly sports yeah, fan. Yeah, doing all right. 
But I wanted to talk to you about March Madness, a big college basketball fan like yourself, and we're down to the final four, a lot to discuss and digest. But as a Syracuse alum, it's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks um, in the actual tournament, getting to the tournament, being in the first four in, beating Arizona State, and then making a run to the Sweet 16, knocking off Michigan State. Um, it, it was an impressive, impressive run, regardless of how, and we could argue this for days, uh, how teams are selected and, and what happens. The bottom line is they got in the tournament and they won a couple games. It wasn't necessarily the easiest on the eyes to watch at times, but uh, another solid run. And I think all things considered, you'd agree that it was a pretty good scenario to get to the Sweet 16 based on how you guys were playing in the last couple months of the regular season. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm going to be you know totally blunt and honest. I, I was... I had given up hope that we would even make the tournament. So, and that's bad uh, when you give up for, hope. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even watch the selection show. I was going to the Sixers Nets game that that night and was like, "Meh, we're not making it." Whatever. And I saw it, you know, start getting texts like, "Oh my God, we're in!" I was like, "How in the heck?" <laughs> but uh, I mean, it. I think you know, whatever whatever way the the selection show goes or the selection committee decides it, you know we get in because we have a big fan base or whatever. But uh, I think honestly between this run and the 2016 final four run with the 10 seed, uh, I mean, I, I honestly, you know, I'm extremely biased, but I, I really don't think Beheim gets enough credit for the, for as good of a coach as he really is. I mean, you know, he, he might not, you know, he's only got one national championship, but the guy's been to five Final Fours. He's consistently gotten teams to overachieve in the NCAA tournament. And, and when you, you know, you put it down on paper, the people will be like, oh, well, you know, you know, he's not winning all the games in the regular season. He's not beating Duke every year. He's not beating UNC. And, you know, that is what it is. But when it comes down to it, the, the, the point of college basketball is to perform well in March and, I mean, the guy has has gotten his teams to overperform, you know, time and time again. And I, I you know, I can't be more proud of the team this year. I, I was not expecting it. I honestly thought they could have lost to Arizona State in the first four. So, yeah, uh, for them for them to win that, then you know, march on all the way to to beating Michigan State, and I mean, giving Duke a hell of a run. Yeah, um, I mean they they. They did. Uh, they gave it their all, and I've, I'm very, very proud of their uh, their effort. I think most Syracuse fans would say the same. So one thing I think that I think goes without saying is that when you live on the bubble, like any team that's on the bubble, if they don't make it, they don't make it. It's not going to be, you know, outrageous. There's a lot that people could, that teams could do to get themselves off the bubble. And we've, it's funny, we've had that conversation in the past, and, and I know for a fact you've thought better Syracuse teams have missed the tournament than this one that actually oh, yeah. made it. So it's funny, how, it's funny how that works out. Uh, whether or not Beheim is always the best coach in the regular season, it's clear he's a tournament coach. It's clear he, it's clear he knows how this system works. Uh, and, and I think you see it at big moments because a lot of these games were close, were tight, going late, and he just knows how to push the right buttons. He knows what to do. He's been there before. He's seen it all. And I think when you have that experience, even if you're not dealing with the best players, players that are staying, you know, for all four years, I think that definitely helps. So I was, you know, actually very impressed. It seems like every year there's one team that makes that run from the first four 
and this year with Syracuse beating Michigan State and really, you know, confusing them when Michigan State was on offense. So that was the good. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, unfortunately, you got some bad news as well with your boy going to the G League and not Syracuse next year. Yeah, the, the Darius Baisley news was definitely a, uh, a dagger into uh, the heart of Orange Nation. Um, you know, big-time recruit, played really well in the McDonald's All-American game last night, and then, you know, come in come into work today and find out that Shams is dropping this bomb that he is uh, going to be the first high school player to skip college and go right to the G League. So, you know, I, I can't be mad at the kid. I mean, it's, you know you got to do what's best for you. This is a chance for him to, you know, participate with some, you know, current pros, former pros, you know, be, be in the NBA system. Um, you know, it, it, you know, might be a good, good opportunity for him. I mean, he's not going to make much money. You really don't in the G league, but, uh, the issue that I really had with it was the timing, um, because it really screwed over Syracuse being this late. Um, because, I mean, at this point, all of the talent for next year is locked up. So at this point, it's hard to recover. I mean, we only had, you know, Syracuse only had a, a three-man recruiting class coming in with Baisley, Jalen Carey, and then Beheim's son, Buddy. Um, so it was, you know, we already had a pretty small recruiting class, and now with it just being, you know, a four-star in Jalen Carey, who is – I mean, he's a highly regarded four-star. He'll be a good, a really good addition. Um, and, you know, Buddy Bayheim's a three-star recruit. He'll be okay. He might get some rotation minutes. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge loss. But, you know, you live and you learn. And uh, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this starts a bit of a, uh, of a trend of guys going, you know what, maybe I want to jump to the G League. You know, I don't have to, you know, do the Emmanuel Moutier and, you know, go over to China instead. Like, I yeah. can stay in the States. You know, you're not going to make a bunch of money, but you can make some money. And, you know, you're going to play a, play with guys that are, you know, as much as people like to, to bag on the G League, I mean, the players in the G League were still absolute studs at the college level. Right. And, um, no, and, so, and I agree. So I, these guys are good players. I just think there might be – this is going to be a case study. I'm fascinating to see how this goes because there is something to be said, especially with how college athletics has been, been crucified in the last couple of years, especially with maybe getting that professional experience and not having to go overseas to do it. Money aside is one thing, but we were just talking about a great coach in Jim Beheim. That's where I think this is going to be the question marks, Ron, is are you going to get that kind of development, that kind of coaching – in the G League. I think the jury's still out on that one. I just don't know if you are going to get that hands-on experience that you would get at a college. Not everybody gets that experience, but I think that might be where it's lacking. Right, and I think that's that's the major issue, that, and you simply don't get the exposure in the G League that mm -hmm. you would get at a major Division One college program. I mean, you play at a place like Syracuse, you're going to get on national TV, you know, at least once every two weeks, if not every week during the season. Um, and, and people are going to be buzzing about you. And there's something to be said for out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I think Emmanuel Moutier was project. I mean, yes, he hasn't performed that well in the NBA, but I think a lot of people had him projected as, you know, possibly a top three pick. He dropped all the way to seven because 
I think a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. He was over in China. And, and, and you know, as right now, I think a lot of people had Baisley as a top 10 pick next year already. Um, and I think a lot has to be said with just the exposure that you would get, you know, playing in the Dome in front of 30,000 fans every night instead of play, playing in front of, what, 300 people in Fort Wayne? Yeah. I mean, it just... So there, there is a little bit of a disconnect there. And, you know, at this point, the biggest game that this kid has ever played in is the McDonald's All-American game. And then he's going to go straight to straight to the D-League and then right to the NBA and never have played in front of, you know, a, you know thousands and thousands of fans before. And, and you wonder how that affects it as well. Yeah, it's only going to be a select few. I mean, the, even even a player not at a big school like Steph Curry going to Davidson got him exposure, got him on that big stage in the tournament. Exactly, exactly. So. And it just gets it gets you, you know, playing in the NCAA tournament gets you the kind of. Ex- I mean, you know, sticking with the Syracuse thing is Malachi Richardson doesn't get drafted in the first round if Syracuse doesn't go to the Final Four two right. years ago. Uh, I don't think Malachi Richardson even leaves Syracuse if they don't go to the Final Four that year. Tyler Lydon doesn't get drafted late in the first round. I mean, the guy would have been a second-round pick if it wasn't for that run to the Final Four. I think there's a lot to be said for performing in front of a lot of people on a national stage in the tournament. You know, that kind of stuff can boost your draft stock. Yeah, certainly can. Well, I'm gonna but be... like you said, it's it's really going to be a case study. Yeah, no, it's and he's not going to be the first one, but it's going to be an elite club that's going to even have the chance to try something like this. So I'm going to be definitely paying attention. Ron Schultz, Money Mitch Effect, talking to us from the East Coast. Let's talk about this year's tournament, though, Ron. It's been exciting. We have one side of the bracket that looks like we thought it would in Villanova and Kansas. Loyola, Chicago taking on Michigan in the other Final Four matchup. But to you... Ron, what's been the story of the tournament, whether it's a team or just a development? What have you seen so far that's really piqued your interest in the Final Four run? Well, absolutely. You know, without a question, the story of the tournament is Loyola and what they've done. Uh, and and you have to, you know, hats off to them. Hats off to that team as, you know, people thought, oh, you know, they might win one game. It's, you know, typical you know, 11 seed wins one game in the first round, you know, bounces out in the second round. But, you know, to come out, win the first game on a buzzer beater, win the second game on a late bucket, win the third game on a late bucket, mm. and then trounce a bit, a good team in the in, in your fourth game in the Elite Eight, I mean, that it was it was downright impressive. And the Loyola Ramblers are rolling right now. And I tell you what, look, Michigan should win this game. There's they no should. question about that. They should win this game. Will they win this game? I have absolutely no idea because it really just depends on if Loyola can continue the magic that they're playing with right now. They're shooting an yeah. insane amount. I have to, they're shooting uh, an insane percentage right now. They are. I have a little Loyola side that doesn't involve Sister Jean. Shout out to her, but... Um, and, and for being the motivation for that team. But Loyola, it's bittersweet. I really love the story. I'm a, I'm a fan of what they do, small school and 11 seed making this run. But, Ron, Porter Moser got his start coaching under Rick Majerus at St. Louis when I was in college. Yep. So I know this guy. I know this guy. This is It reminds me of how the Billikens used to play when we were a top-10 team under Majerus. Uh, it, it's, it is bittersweet a little bit for me because I think, man, what if they would have just – 
made the decision to keep him. It's fun to watch a team like this that's not all flash and mostly is all substance. The ball movement, their clutch in key moments. I know we can talk about how a couple things go their way. They could easily have lost in the first round. They could have lost any one of those first three games, but they didn't. And there's something to be said about a team that continually comes up big in the clutch. I'm with you. Michigan is an electric electric team when they're rolling i mean jesus they've they, they've that game against uh yeah that's, that, that that's sweet 16 game third round that sweet yeah. 16 game they i mean jesus. God, they were unstoppable but then you know the elite eight game they were anything but that and they still found a way to win with defense and rebounding and that's and that's you know the sign of an actually of a good team is to find different ways to win and not just win the same way every time we need to investigate by the way why florida state didn't follow at the end of that game which kept, yeah, it, well, which kept it under which, by a point and Dan, kept the, well, Dana the Jacobson spread. tried to. It didn't go over too well. <laughs> I would have brought up gambling. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> there were some serious gambling implications on that decision too. But but Michigan, yeah, maybe, I, maybe yeah. Leonard Hamilton had something on that. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, maybe he's looking out for the alumni. But Michigan, if they play well, <laughs> should they should win this game. But it's March Madness. It's one game. You never know. Uh, and I've just been every year. There's a story like this, but each one I think we can say is it the same. They're all unique, and it's kind of cool to see this this small school team from the Missouri Valley Conference making this run. I know it broke a lot oh, of hearts uh, on the way, you know, to the Tennessee fans, to the Miami fans, but yeah, they're just good at what they do, and they're making plays in the clutch. It's been uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, and I, and I think that comes down to, you know. There are a lot of seniors on this team. It's a lot of guys that have played together for a really long time, and they know how each other play. And, you know, everybody likes the, you know, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the the flashy one-and-done guys that are going to be studs in the NBA. But when it comes down to it, I feel like more often than not, the, the teams that perform well in the tournament are teams that have a good rapport. Right. and can play well together and know how each other play together. And that's why a team like Villanova is yeah. consistently where they are. I'm glad because you brought Jay Wright up. Has, has, has brought up a – I mean, Jay Wright has gotten that program to the point where you come there, you're going to stay there for a couple of years, nobody's going there and doing one and done, but they're an absolute team. Like that team is not, you know, a collection of studs, not not a bunch of Calipariites. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> – yeah. This is this is an absolute team that Villanova's putting out there, and that's why, I mean, they are absolute. They're the best team in the tournament. They were the best team in the tournament when it started, and they're still the best team in the tournament. I like that Cal Perry shot. That was good and always approved on this show. <laughs> um, and, again, just make your free throws. That would be the story number two of the tournament to me. Kentucky loses. Well, yeah, again. there you go. A Cal Perry coach team loses again, missing their free throws. Uh, yeah, Villanova is, has been the best team. They're the best. I would say they're the most organized. I don't want to necessarily say best coached. They've been the best second half team. I think a lot of these games are close, and they just run them out in the second half. And you mentioned teams, everybody in the public being in love with the teams and players that are one and done, that are flashy, that are lottery picks. Jalen Brunson's been amazing. Like the way he plays basketball, how he takes over, has been amazing to watch. Well, he earned that AP Player of the Year uh, award today. Uh, I mean, the kid has been. Honestly, when it comes down to it, it's crazy that he probably won't be a star in the NBA, and he'll probably be maybe a rotation player. He could even find his way out of the NBA in a couple of years. But it blows my mind that someone could not find, you know, a place for him 
on a team because that's the kind of player you want on a team. He's a leader. He leads by example. And when you need a bucket, he is, man, he's money. He certainly is. I, I mean, I'm surprised that he he doesn't. I, I shouldn't say I'm surprised that he's not getting more buzz because I know how the we know how the game works at scouting, and he might not have the measurables, but he's as clutch as they come. He gets the, he gets everybody going, and we saw it even in the Big East tournament when they had their moments against Providence. He was the one that took over, um, and there's something to be said about he did, that. Did the, did the same thing against. I mean. Him and Macau Bridges against West Virginia took over. And, I mean, when it comes down to it, the kid just knows how to play. And, and you know, I know you didn't want to say that they're the best coach team in the in the tournament, but I tell you what, Jay Wright will be in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and, and he deserves it because the dude has done an incredible job. And he's, I mean, is, I, I believe Villanova's won more games in the last four years than any program in history. Um wow. Wow. Which is just incredible. I mean, well, and that th- is that's the mo- that's the model of consistency. And think about this, Ron. They go from you know they were the team that choked. That's what they were known as. Right was winning all right. these regular season games, but they were getting bounced early. Yep. With the Scotty the Scotty Reynolds teams and the the Kyle Lowry teams and the, and those teams were always you know ranked number one or number two in the regular season. And then they go into the, the end of the tournament and never got it done. I mean, as recently it, as five years ago, you know, like it, it's right. If they win, if they win this whole thing, they will go down as the fourth team in the last 30 years to win two and three years. It's Duke, Florida and Kentucky and them. So they go, so they instantly change the that's narrative. Some, that's some good company. I'll tell you that, <laughs> you know, so that's what's, that's what's at stake for them. I mean, obviously they, they got the monkey off their back with what, being the choking team is, but they can go down as a legendary team with this win. I mean, it, oh, absolutely. Obviously, Wright was a good coach all along, but and the players are, are playing up to it. But yeah, I mean, they have this ceiling that I don't think any other team can reach. Um, but this Kansas team is going to be tough, so that'll be exciting to see Ron Schultz, Money Mitch effect. I do have to say one thing: Kansas getting to the Final Four, Ron beating Duke, that looked like a pro game. I mean, I thought that was one that, of the that, best, that most drama filled games of the tournament. It was it was probably the best game of the tournament to be honest, uh, and I, I'm, you know, it is what it is that Grayson Allen was the one that missed that shot, but, uh, you know, I'm glad that it went to overtime and we got you know five more minutes of that game, because especially, you know, you have to hats off, man, to Kansas to be able to win once Azubuki fouled out. Yeah. He fouled out in regulation, and they went out there in in overtime and went out and won the game, which is just honestly, I was thoroughly impressed Dude. that they went out and won that. I thought, I thought, okay, they're yeah. going to overtime. You know, there's no way. Well, Newman got but, got crazy hot hitting all those threes in overtime, and, and he is a <laughs> yeah, five that was he, nuts. I know he's got a little J.R. Smith in him, which is kind of funny to see. But Duke, with the roster that they have, and this is the changing in Coach K's recruiting philosophy. We're going to see it next year with all their five stars come in. A lot of one-and-dones, a lot of players that haven't been there before, and a lot of guys that don't know who should be taking over in crunch time. I think we saw a little bit of uh, uncertainty in those moments, and hats off to Kansas because even one man short, they found a way to do it. So I was I was thoroughly impressed with the Jayhawks, and what a uh, redemptive season. What a weird season for Bill Self. Up and down. The Jayhawks lose yeah, to absolutely. Oklahoma State think, twice, the first lot. time that it happened in, in conference to anybody under his era, and they're still in the Final Four. 
Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people even had Kansas making out of their bracket. I mean, them, them making the Final Four uh, is impressive nonetheless. Even if Syracuse was the one that took out Michigan State, I think a lot of people had either Michigan State or Duke being the one to come out of that bracket. Uh, I, I think they were definitely not the trendy pick to be in the Final Four this year. So, you know, hats off to Bill South for getting that team together. Hats off to Devontae Graham just continually being, uh, uh, you know, a good player, a good leader on that team, and, you know, making the shots when they need it. Yeah, I'll tell you, that was quite the game. Um, Kansas persevering throughout the year. Ron, before I let you go, there's one other thing to talk about this tournament, and that is a 16 seed finally beating a one seed. It's like one of the last things I don't think we, we were waiting to see in sports. One of the last <laughs> things that we well, haven't I mean, seen the, before. The, I mean, the biggest upset in the history of sports. Like that and Leicester City winning the okay. Premier League. You got to throw Miracle in there, man. You can't keep forgetting. I <laughs> well, can't, that's true. <laughs> that's on. true. That's true. That's I mean, true. UMBC did a great job, but they didn't exactly end communism. So I'm just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hats off to those kids. I love the Retrievers, but uh, no, it, it, it's up there. I mean, it's it's in that Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, Miracle. Uh, you know, it, it's in that in that room. There's not many upsets in sports history like that, and. It was so thorough. That was the most shocking. Oh, no. I, was, I thought I'd yeah. see that in my I, lifetime, I most people, but not right. Like and you that. thought it would be like a buzzer beater or yeah. something that, like, oh wow, like they just you know got lucky, got hot at the right time. Like Princeton no, beating UCLA, that one boring game from 30, 20 years ago where they just held the ball and it was low scoring. That's what I kind of expected. Right, but I mean, it was the same. Honestly, the same way that I was astonished with UMBC, I was the same way with Buffalo doing that to Arizona. It's just, they went out start to finish. They were the best team on the floor, which blows my mind, especially against Virginia. That is coached by Tony Bennett. Who's a, honestly, he's a great coach. He, you know, has that team just defensively sound, Mm -hmm. but offensively they were worse than Syracuse. (laughs) They were. And uh, yeah, Sean Miller, they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't make anything. And then, you know, Arizona, you should have just been feeding Aiton every damn play. I mean, <laughs> what they're on the, they are so lucky, Sean Miller in Arizona, that what happened with Virginia happened, and they just flew under the radar with that disaster of a loss. To right, Buffalo. I think people forgot, yeah. <laughs> and that whole scandal, it's just like no one even remembers now. It's great. What a time yeah. to be those guys. And I know we're, you know, I rep the Big Ten, you rep the ACC now. At least we're not the Pac-12. Because if you add up God, football God, and basketball, God. what an That's awful it. athletic season. Maybe the worst ever. Honestly, I, I, I would just say that there might only be five Power Five conferences in <laughs> basketball, and the Pac-12 is not one of them. The Big East is the other one. One? Because yeah. <laughs> that was awful, man. One just, bowl uh, win they had, well, they and get no two, tournament they get two wins. Teams in? Yeah, uh, no tournament wins. No, well, not if you count first four, but that was it when uh, – it was yeah. one in the main. So they got Arizona and so they got Arizona and Arizona State, and they both lost. One bowl win and no tournament wins. That was their athletic season in basketball. For, for a Power Five conference, <laughs> that is awful. And their bowl win was, uh, I think it was uh, Michigan lost on New Year's Day. I think the, Utah. Or, I think I don't know. I don't even remember. Uh, but it wasn't a big game, yeah, and know. it was pretty bad. But all right, <laughs> that's wow. What a rough. Yeah, I mean that's just. World. Yeah, Pac-12, not, not a good look. All but, right, hey. I mean, wouldn't be surprised if UCLA gets their, gets their act together and is good at basketball again. 
they they seem to do the do the wave a lot and you know have some down years and then come back and be really good. So yeah, just the no, back twelve will be back, I'm sure. Hopefully, no more trips to China though. You don't want to start the season off on a, on a bad foot like that. Just, yeah, well, just don't bring any of the ball brothers in. You should be good. Hey, he declared for the draft, Leandro. That's <laughs> yeah. And then they declare. basically. Do you want to declare for the draft too, since he did it? I mean, yeah, exactly. And then he basically staged a, a a fake game so he could score seventy two points against no one. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's like, hey. yeah, he's not going to get drafted. And if he gets drafted, it's going to be like Isaiah Thomas last pick. Like, this is cool, honorary. You're not going to make the team, bro. It's just, well, I mean, not. I think, Not he, good. I think he needs more PR. He needs somebody to speak loudly about him. I think that might be. Yeah, that that that's definitely what he's missing. <laughs> oh man, oh man. Well, all right, Ron. Before I let you go, this was a blast as always. Who you got in these games, and how do you think it's going to shake out? Um, I mean, I I have to say that Loyola has been a good run, but I I think this is kind of where the luck runs out. A lot of times, this is where the luck runs out for Cinderella. You know, a lot of these teams make it to the Final Four. Um, and I don't think any team seated below nine has ever even made the national championship. So it would be quite the upset if they were to able to come in. And, you know, this, this it's it's one thing to win in the 316 and the Elite Eight. The Final Four is a big, 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 big stage. And, uh, you know, Beeline's been there. And Michigan has played in big games and they won the Big Ten tournament and they're tournament tested and they're a good team. So I think Michigan's going to win that side. And, you know, as much as we were touting Bill Self, Villanova is just a better team. Um, and they just have more options from uh, Brunson and Bridges to even DiVincenzo off the bench. Um, I mean, they, they should they should definitely win that game. And then I have to take Villanova to beat Michigan in the national championship. Um, I just think from start to finish, they've been the best team in the in the country this year. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you there. I, I do think that one thing I would be cautious to say, I, I know no team's ever done gone to the title game under under a nine seed, but we've already seen some history break, so I don't think That's true. I, I think it's gonna That's be true. This would be the year. Yeah, this it, has been the probably the weirdest tournament I've ever seen. There's I don't I don't think I've ever seen a tournament like this. If it's not Jay Wright, I'd say B line is the is my personally just favorite coach in terms of how he gets the most out of his players. And I think that's going to be the difference there. He's not going to let Michigan overlook Loyola. He's going to have them well, well prepared. Um, no, and, they will be. They will be ready to play. And that kid uh, Wagner, if he gets going, he is tough to stop. That kid can play. Nova Kansas feels like almost like the title game, and I think it will be a great game. And Kansas, if they shoot well, always has a chance. But yeah, I got to go Nova based on the experience, based on their depth. Um, I don't think Kansas can afford to have anybody fall out in this one, but should be exciting. Definitely not. No, should yeah, it's true. I think I think you're right. I think that game will probably, well, I think they'll both be good games, but that Kansas Villanova game that's that's a heavyweight fight. Certainly is. Certainly that'll be is. a good. That'll be a good game. All right, Ron. This was fun. Thanks again. We'll have to do this in the near future, uh, and then any time, of course, it's your on the West Coast. Um, where yeah, it is still absolutely. Warm, I like so. where it is still warm. Yeah, man, nice I'll be out there in place. June. I'm excited to be back out there soon. So, yeah, man. can't wait for that, Ron Schultz. This was fun. Thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, thanks for having me.
That's it for today's show. Thanks again to both guests, Brett Connors and Ron Schultz. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats. And thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo, the artwork that you see when you click on every Money Mitch Effect episode. You can find this show and all of the shows in our archives at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And as of two weeks ago, there's a Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook. And on Twitter, you can find me, MoneyMitchM21, for all the episodes in the entire series. If you like it, share it, subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend, spread the word any way you can. It would mean a great deal to me. Or just keep listening to episodes. That works, too. Always good there. We're going to have a couple shows next week. That is the plan. Hockey playoff push is nearing the end. We're going to, I'm geeked just thinking about the hockey playoffs. Talk a little basketball. I definitely want to do a baseball preview. Opening day was yesterday. I hope everybody had a good time. Even if your team's lost, and even if you are unfortunately a Yankees or Red Sox fan. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. That was an attempt at humor. Until next time, keep watching and keep loving sports people.